Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Amen. Stand with me and open to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we'll pick up at verse 9. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. The work, the work of ministry has some difficulties. It has a few difficulties. All jobs, all jobs have some difficulties, right? I'm, I'm not sure I would trade the difficulties of the ministry for uh, the work that many of you are called to do every day. But there are difficulties in the ministry that you um, might not want to pick up either. The, uh, one of the hardships that I've experienced, and, and this may not merely be because of the ministry, but because of my own sin, um, is this. A pastor, a pastor must be dedicated deeply to ministering to everybody in his flock, but in many ways that keeps him from being buddies with them. And I think this is an inevitable situation for many reasons. Uh, the pastor has a calling to preach the word. It's a calling from God, and in, and in very particular ways, it should occupy the central place in his life. Yes, the central place in his life. <clears throat> I would put my list this way. Servant of God as pastor, then husband, then father, then friend is the order it would go in. And the first three of those often compete with one another for first place, right? Pastor, husband, father. But notice what is last in my list was friendship. Um, secondly, when we are friends with people, I, I think this is a fundamental part of friendship. When we are friends with people, we have a pact with them that they will accept us despite our sins, in a sense. Now, the best of friends deal with our sins along with us, but there is a certain level where our friends are those that we um, that that accept us despite our our sins. But the pastor has an obligation to see sins. He has an obligation to see. And, and to see to the spiritual growth of those under under his um, care. This, the, for the same reason, parents shouldn't be friends to their children, right? If you if if you're a friend to your child, as as people would normally say, friend, 
it's likely that you've given off seeing their sins and disciplining them and helping them along. You just want to go see movies and play Frisbee golf with them. That's hardly being a parent. You can do those things, but that, that can't be all. So the pastor has an obligation to see to the spiritual growth of those under his care, but that kind of scrutiny is not a constant of friendship. It's not a constant. We let our guard down around our friends, and they generally reciprocate. We let our guard down around our pastor, and while he is obligated to observe and make judgments, and it's a burden. It's a difficulty for pastors, right? But we're called to keep watch over souls. This is why pastors' friends are generally men outside the flock he serves in. It's generally how it falls out. This doesn't mean he doesn't love his flock. Quite the opposite, really. The men the pastor looks to for affirmation and encouragement are usually other men in the ministry outside of his immediate context, just as other business owners get together with other business owners, right? To to find someone who truly understands the situation they're in and they can talk to freely, right? That they can let their hair down with, to to find that sort of companion. Just as other mothers get together with other mothers to find that sympathetic um, ear. This situation is a difficulty. Most other men have their closest friendships, I would hope, within their church. Within their church. I would hope it would be that way. But with the pastor, it's more complicated. Friendship is really... Friendship, as I think about it, is an egalitarian relationship, right? It, it, friendship is by nature where there's equality and a, an equal give and take and a, every decision is made together. That's what makes friendship so wonderful and different. But pastors and their flocks are burdens in, in God's design with an authority structure. On the other hand... Let me speak out of both sides of my mouth now, Um, or mouth. I only have one. Um, I would also say that pastors need to be friends with everybody in their flock, right? Young and old, male and female. The pastors should make everybody comfortable, at ease, feel loved, right, feel important, and all those things are characteristics of friendship. Um, And and I'll be a, a good pastor and move on without resolving that tension for you. Now, what what does all of that to do with our our passage? It struck me that the apostle Paul, now that his exhortation of this young younger minister has mostly ended, that he wants Timothy to make every effort to come to him soon. Right? It appears to me that this request is a function of his friendship with Timothy. Right? This request very well could be. I mean, it could be that the apostle has another work for him to do, and when he arrives, he's going to be shipped off right to the next thing that the apostle Paul has been working on. Yet, yet remember, the, the apostle is imprisoned, and his execution is imminent, and he knows, and, and the pronouncement of that execution has been given, right? And so um, you would expect he would want to see his son in the faith, and now his friend, a fellow minister in the gospel, somebody who understands just what his life has been like all through those, those years. 
Yes, there was a mentorship going on here, but at this point, the trust that had developed between these two men must have led them into a true friendship. Right? The Apostle Paul, like all of us, needed friends. Right? He needed trusted uh, confidants, just like, like he also needed spiritual authority over him, and he had the other apostles for that. Timothy had become that friend. Right, that co-working friend, the bonds of men who labor in ministry are intensely deep. Um, though many fathers in the faith still have authority over me, right now that I have labored through some things, they they are my deepest friends now because they uh, they they now merely sympathize; they don't analyze with me anymore. And so I believe that the Apostle Paul and Pastor Timothy had that kind of relationship or friendship. And that's why Paul is requesting Timothy's presence. He wants his friend with him before he dies. Right? He simply wants his friend's encouragement. To, I mean, maybe that's too sentimental a reading. Maybe we should think of, of Paul as a machine of, of ministry and that he just wants Timothy to get there so that he can go on to the next thing. Well, perhaps, perhaps that's, you know, or perhaps he just wanted his, his, his uh, jacket and books. And he's just a jerk because he's using Timothy to get his jacket and his books. Um, but I don't think so. I think, Tim, I think Paul is longing to be with this man that he has ministered with for so long. Now, others had abandoned the Apostle Paul, not Timothy. Timothy did not abandon the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is feeling the sting of this abandonment. He writes, Demas, having loved the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. It had happened to him before, right? Paul writes a few verses later, At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Isn't that awesome, what he says there? He, he's like, everybody deserted me, but the Lord, the Lord stood with me. And that was enough for Paul. But remember this, John Mark, Mark, the Marks that, that's uh, mentioned here in this passage, John Mark had abandoned the Apostle Paul some years earlier uh, before this imprisonment. And that led, that abandonment led to Paul and Barnabas separating, Paul and Barnabas falling out. And we read this in the book of Acts, Acts 15. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. That seems like a reasonable, good request. Let's go back to where we've been, see how things are going. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And so, they, so Barnabas and Paul are arguing about Mark. Mark had gone his own way at one point, abandoning the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. That's Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left another way. And so there's much that we could say about that and its intersection with authority and friendship But what I want you to see is that the Apostle Paul had suffered the loss through his ministry of close 
trusted co-laborers, right? It was his ministry that led to such losses. And here, as Paul languished in prison, in chains, execution imminent, Demas determines right at that point to abandon Paul for the worst reason, for love of the world. Love of the world. No wonder that Paul wants the encouragement of Timothy with him. No wonder he wants the one guy who has always been right with him. Just just Timothy's presence would encourage Paul. So Demas, who is he? Demas is mentioned in two other times in Paul's letters. At the end of his letter to the church in Colossae, Paul writes, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. So that's one mention, a greeting. And in his letter to Philemon, he, re, uh, he writes, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. So Demas was in with the Apostle Paul's team, a co-laborer for the gospel, and it had been during his first imprisonment, Paul's first imprisonment, that Demas had been with him. Um, But now as the Apostle Paul was condemned, as the Apostle Paul was chained, he determines that he'll go after the world instead of the ministry. That must have been a crushing blow for the Apostle Paul. It had to have been. Demas, after serving the Lord, left the Lord for the world. Demas, after having tasted of the heavenly gift, and had determined then that he liked the taste of the world more than the taste of the heavenly gift. Really what the apostle writes here is, for Demas, having loved the current age, has deserted me. Demas, having loved the current age, has deserted me. He was no longer living, therefore, for the age to come. He wanted the age of now. He wanted the age that was right before him. He had, as it says in Hebrews, tasted of the powers of the age to come, but then determined that he loved the current age or that he would live for now rather than for eternity. Remember when the apostle Peter responded to a parable of Jesus with this point, Behold, we have left our homes and followed you. Remember when Peter exclaims that? And, And Jesus responded to him and said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times as much in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Right? Perhaps, it was, perhaps it was some of those things that Jesus listed that drew Demas away from God and into the, the now, into the world, a house, a wife. Brothers, parents, children, all very precious things, right? But not at all as precious as your creator, your God, your savior, right? It is more often the good things of this world, not the evil things and the things that appeal to our base lusts. It's, it's, the, it's often the good things that lead us to turn our backs upon God, It is the things that everybody understands to be powerful and precious, particularly family, that lead people to make shipwreck of their faith. 
in order to retain our relationships with our family, we happily disobey God. Right? In order to keep an inheritance, we, we maintain our relationships even when those relations ask us to abandon God. Right? God must always be our first thought and, and never an afterthought when it comes to anybody, however close they may be. Right? You remember Lot's wife looking back, longing for, longing for Sodom, longing for Gomorrah, and she was judged. So that undoubtedly is the meaning of Christ's provocative and purifying statement. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Right? Demas determined that was ridiculous. Right? He would love his life and love the world, and the world would love him for it, and he would forfeit, therefore, being a disciple of God. Never, never let anything of this world, relationships, wealth, power, recognition, make you think that they are a worthy switch from God and eternal life. They are not. They are not, though it is hard for you, for some reason, at some point, to make that conclusion. It's probably because you're not enjoying the glories of eternity yet. It's probably because you're also strapped with a sinful nature. So many make the switch, brothers and sisters. When God does not give you what you think you deserve, will you abandon him like, like Demas? Will you live in such a way that you make your present much more enjoyable? Will you, will you get a new wife? Right? Will you find a new drug? Will you abandon your responsibility? And that's really what men want to get away from. It's responsibility. Just give me, just let me play golf. Right? Will you abandon your responsibility all to make this life more enjoyable? If so, you will be a Demas. And when it is too late, you will then have serious regrets. Serious regrets. The grass is not greener on the other side for Demas. It's terrible what lies ahead for Demas. What he is experiencing even now, unless he repented. Do you not think that I mean, seriously, stop. Do you not think that you actively face this choice between God and the world every day? You do, brothers and sisters. And some days the temptation to abandon God for the fleeting pleasures of the world, for the quick fixes of the world, for the fast cars and the trophy wife, so to speak, for the bottle, for the better job, right? For this or for that, or for just stupid things that aren't even hardly worth mentioning, Sometimes the temptations for those things are so powerful that they seem like good choices. Your marriage is miserable, and instead of turning to God and living in your marriage as he has directed you, husband as a hard man and the woman as a soft woman, you'd rather just have a bit of the world and a no-fault divorce. And move on. If you do so, you're a Demas. You're a Demas. 
He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. He who hates his life in this world. Somehow we've been sold the lie that we're supposed to enjoy life. Jesus says, no, you should hate it. You should hate it. And it makes sense that we would hate such a sin-saturated thing, this life. John put it this way, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Thank you, John, for being so point blank. You are not to have your good things now. Though God has been gracious, and I mean, how many good things has he really given you? He's given you a lot of good things, right? He's given you so many good things. He's given you so many great responsibilities and such a a lovely wife or a lovely, uh, handsome husband. And he's given you work and he's given you provision and he's given you health and he's given you you, uh, just the enjoyment of of looking at the, the sunset and the sunrise. He's given you so much and yet you are not to have your good things now. Your good things will come in the age to come. Are you living for that or is the world constantly tugging at you? Right? Do you have expectations for what the world owes to you? Or are you trusting in God's providence as hard or as soft as that providence might be? Demas didn't. Demas did not. Right? Demas thought that he deserved to be able to go down to the gentleman's club He thought he deserved to take vengeance into his own hands. He thought he deserved to have his best life now. Right? Demas did not merely abandon the Apostle Paul in order to make that happen. He abandoned God in order to make that happen. Do not be a Demas. Do not be a Demas. What you have in Jesus Christ by faith is better than all the goods, all the pleasures, all the comforts, all the friendships, all the power that this world could give to you or that it could offer to you. Eternal life in paradise in the presence of Almighty God who created everything that is visible and invisible. Nah. I just want to go to the strip club. Eternal life in the presence of God in his paradise, the creator almighty who made everything visible and invisible. What are you willing to trade for that? A night of adultery, a snort of cocaine, the removal of all of your responsibilities. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will it What will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. What would you give in exchange for your soul? You know it's not much, don't you? It's not much. You would give up your soul for not much. Because anything in exchange for the soul 
and the glory of paradise is not much. Do not forget, dear brothers and sisters, what you have by faith in Jesus Christ. The devil would have you forget what you have by faith in Jesus Christ. The world would have you forget what you have in Jesus Christ. And your own flesh is trying to get you to forget what you have in Jesus Christ. You understand the sin of Judas because you have been tempted by lesser things to give up and betray Jesus. But what do you have in Jesus Christ? Eternal life in paradise in the presence of the Almighty God who created all that is visible and invisible. And an eternal Sabbath. We get to rest all the time. Right? A marriage feast attended by the church triumphant from all ages. I want to be seated next to the Apostle Paul, although it's probably taken. Give me Athanasius or something like that. Give me Augustine. Be seated by these, these men and talk to them. An eternal dwelling place protected by omnipotent God. No break-ins. No thieves and wolves enter in. Nothing. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. That one pearl. That one thing. He went and bought it. Now perhaps you're a bit confused. Perhaps the world has gotten you convinced that you really don't don't have a sin problem and that God is not angry with sin and that you, you needn't really fear anything in this life and you needn't even think that sin is a problem in this life. Isn't it fascinating how the world can infiltrate our minds and take us off from the one main problem, which is your sin and a holy God? Right? God has solved that dilemma through His Son. Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Then you are saved from your sins. The world will make you embarrassed about the simplicity of that view of man and of salvation and of God. Demas couldn't handle that embarrassment and join the world. Now, I'll close with this and stick with me, but I wanted to share this. It's a bit of the opening of of Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, which so beautifully depicts this competition between the world and the believer, right? Look, Look at who tries to keep Christian from pursuing God. As I walked through the wilderness of this world, I lighted on a certain place where there was a den. And I laid me down in that place to sleep. And as I slept, I dreamed a dream. I dreamed, and behold, I saw a man clothed with rags, standing in a certain place with his face from his own house, a book in his hand, and a great burden upon his back. I looked and saw him open the book and reading therein. And he read and he wept and he trembled. And not being able longer to contain, he broke out with a lamentable cry saying, What shall I do? In this plight, therefore, he went home and refrained himself as long as he could that his wife and children should not perceive his distress. But he could not be silent long. 
Because that, his trouble increased. Wherefore, at length, he brake his mind to his wife and children, and thus he began to talk to them, O oh, my dear wife, said he, and you, the children of my bowels, I, your dear friend, am I myself undone by reason of a burden that lies hard upon me. Moreover, I am certain informed that our city will be burned with fire from heaven, in which fearful overthrow both myself and with thee, my wife, and you, my sweet babes, shall miserably come to ruin, except some way of escape can be found, whereby we may be delivered. And at this, his relations were sore amazed. Not for that they believed that what he had said to them was true, but because they thought that some frenzied distemper had gotten into his head. Therefore, it drawing towards night, and they hoping that sleep might settle his brains, with all haste they got him to bed, but the night was as troublesome to him as the day. Wherefore, instead of sleeping, he spent it in sighs and tears. So when the morning was come, they would know how he did. He told them worse and worse. He also set to talking to them again, but they began to be hardened. They also thought to drive away his distemper by harsh and surly carriages to him. Sometimes they would deride, sometimes they would chide, and sometimes they would quite neglect him. Wherefore, he began to retire himself to his chamber to pray for and pity them, and also to condole his own misery. He would also walk solitarily in the fields, sometimes reading and sometimes praying, and thus for some days he spent his time. Now I saw upon a time when he was walking in the fields that he was, as he was wont, reading in his book and greatly distressed in his mind. And as he read, he burst out as he had done before, crying, What shall I do to be saved? I saw also that he looked this way and that way as if he would run, yet he stood still because, as I perceived, he could not tell which way to go. I looked then and saw a man named Evangelist coming to him, and asked, Wherefore dost thou cry? He answered, Sir, I perceive by, by the book in my hand that I am condemned to die, and after that to come to judgment. And I find that I am willing to do the first, not able to do the second. And Christian set no longer leaves. Christian no sooner leaves the world, but meets evangelist who lovingly greets him with tidings of another and doth show him how to amount to, mount to that from, the, from below. Then the evangelist said, Why not willing to die? Save this life is attended with so many evils. Since this life is attended with so many evils. The man answered, Because I fear that this burden is upon my back will sink me lower than the grave, and I shall fall into Tophet. And sir, if it be not fit to go to prison, I am not fit, I am sure, to go to judgment, and from thence to execution. And the thoughts of these things make me cry. And the evangelist, if this be thy condition, why do you stand still? He answered, because I know not whither to go. Then he gave him a parchment roll, and there was written there, flee from the wrath to come. And the man therefore read it, and looking upon evangelist very carefully said, whither must I fly? Then the evangelist said, pointing with his finger over a very wide field, do you see yonder wicked gate? And the man said, no. Then said the other, Do you see yonder shining lights? And he said, I think I do. Then said Evangelist, Keep that light in your eye and go up directly thereto, so thou shalt see the gate at which 
When thou knockest, it shall be told thee what you shall do. So I saw in my dream that the man began to run. Now he had not run far from his own door, but his wife and children, perceiving it, began to cry after him to return. But the man put his fingers in his ears and ran on crying, Life! Life! Eternal life! So he looked not behind him, but fled towards the middle of the plain. Life, life, eternal life. Right? Wife and children crying for him to come back. Right? And that's maybe Demas' wife or children were crying for him to abandon the Apostle Paul and to, to come home. And he should have just stuck his fingers in his ears and said, no, life, life, eternal life. Right? His wife and his children. Now you go down and and Bunyan does a good job uh, in the second book of bringing along the wife and the children. But, um, But here at this point, they were an unbelieving stumbling block that would have cried out to Christian to come back. To come back to what? To come back to destruction city was going to be destroyed. And so do not be a Demas. Remember what you have in Jesus Christ, in, in eternal life, and rest in that. And put away all these temptations around you. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would give us this focus on you. That you would be our one true joy. Father, that we would have minds and hearts that are not split in their affections between the world and you, but we would be f- have hearts that are fully devoted to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.